0: Hi, guys. This is Grant Atkins, and you are listening to Talking With TK.
1: Guys, welcome to episode 116 of Talking With TK. I'm your host, Tristan Connell. Well, today we're going to be exploring a a little bit differently. So we're going to be exploring the career of one of the NRL referees in Grant Atkins. Now, Grant's one of my really good friends, one of my best mates. We've been pretty tight since we've been about 18 years old. I used to referee for those who are new to the show. So I have known him for a long, long time. I was best man at his wedding and um, godfather to his eldest daughter, Emily. So I'm really proud of what he's achieved and given the amount of flack that the referees have copped last year, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, there was a quite a number of mistakes, but I think they're in for a huge year. Graham Annesley's taken over back on top and they have a great crop of guys. And the reason for doing this, I want to kind of show you the behind. You guys just see a lot of the referees on the field. You don't actually get to know who they are. And I guess I do that across the board as well. That's the biggest thing about doing the podcast to show the real human side of people. So Grant's got a great backstory and, you know, his connection to the game is, is second to none. You know, both his grandfather and his father both played for the Parramatta Eel, so you probably don't even realise that. But he's an outstanding referee, he's a great human being, a fantastic father. So I think it's definitely an episode you guys are going to enjoy and it's something fresh and unique. So it is some something that's been on the cards for a while. So I'm really appreciative for grant giving some me some time and yeah i think his story you're really really going to enjoy thank you to everyone leaving reviews reviews have gone through the roof if you haven't yet and you've got access to apple or itunes please just search talking with tk and you can leave a review it just really helps me to be seen more in the in the different charts and all that sort of stuff and for me eva gives me feedback on the show so i really enjoy that and also everyone reaching out you know from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for not only supporting the show but introducing yourselves letting me know where you're from and even a little little story about yourself. So I really appreciate everyone reaching out and I love to hear from everyone and a lot of people have been saying they're enjoying the show. So that's the main thing for me to produce a show that you guys love and you can share with your family and friends. So thank you so much. If you haven't got email, well email's pretty easy. Tristan at talking with tk.com reach out Facebook or Twitter I'm at Talking with TK. My personal page is Tristan Connell, K Apostrophe L Definitely add me. I'll add you back. Or Instagram is just Tristan Nell. Alright, guys. Last week on the show we had Keith Galloway. So if you're a big rugby league supporter, definitely check out his story. But there's plenty else. There's we're up to episode 116. So definitely do check out the back catalogue. You'll find it all on your podcast app. Well, probably the simplest way is www dot talking with tk.com and please let me know any guest requests i have just about to finish recording the end of season two i won't spoil too much this week i did record with former all black nick evans australia's v- fastest ever runner patrick johnson as well as one of the immortals from the english rugby league in paul Sculthorpe. you know you don't get too much better than scully over in in the UK, an absolute Saint Len- Saint Helens legend and a real star over there. So it was great to pick his brain as well. But there's plenty on the agenda for next week. I'm also going to be recording with Anthony Minicello, Dean Witters, and Steve Turvey Mortimer So there's a couple I won't, a couple more for the following week when I'm sorry, couple weeks when I'm back from Thailand. But the episodes will be continuing to come on. So enjoy today's show, and I introduce Grant Atkins. Alright guys, my special guest today is Grant Atkins. Grant is an NRO referee who was officiated in over 200 first grade games. He's been to two World Cups in 2013 and 2017. He was a touch judge in State of Origin in 2013. He also hosts a pretty good podcast, it's called The View from the Middle Podcast, which features the stories of sports officials from around Australia. I also got to do a disclaimer, he is one of my best mates, so if... This, this interview might go in a lot of different directions, and unfortunately for Grant, I know him back to front, so there's no stories that I probably haven't heard yet. But I know he's a great guy, and he's achieved so much, so I'm very proud of him as well. So welcome to the podcast, Grant Atkins.
0: Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me.
1: It's a pleasure, mate. So, you know, first things first, you're looking pretty fit, as you always do. You know, I know a lot of people don't know how hard you guys work as referees. So, why don't you give some insights into you know NRL off season for you guys?
0: Oh, look, it's it's changed over the time I've been there. Um, it's always been difficult, but I, I imagine that the last two years have really ramped up, uh, and a significant change of that probably came with Michael Maguire coming in at the start of the twenty eighteen season, mm. um, and that he there's a change in. In attitude towards training and hard work there. Um, and I think he's pretty synonymous for that amongst the clubs that he's been at. Um, you loved
1: Match but didn't you? Because I even noticed the change in you. Like, you've always been into your self development and stuff like that. But how many books did you read last year, for example?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, a lot, actually. Um, and look, that was reading something that I've sort of taken on. Yeah. Um, being trained as an English teacher, you'd think I would have read a lot. But uh, <laughs> I've actually got into it a lot more as a, a bit of an out. Uh, from rugby league and I really enjoy learning and and educating myself. But if we get back to the point about the physical side of things, Mm. uh, we're we're full-time and to be perfectly honest, it's uh, a career that if you're healthy and fit, you can prolong it significantly. Uh, The other thing is you've you've got to remember that referees, it takes a long time to get to first grade. I didn't debut on the line until – 2009 so i was 27 mm. uh, whereas most guys now are, are sort of hitting the top of their career at 27 and
1: well for a first grade player yeah exactly they're in their peak and they literally have five years tops yep. maybe left in the game so i think that's something that they do have to look at like bringing like for example you said you debuted when you were 27 yeah. you could have debuted five years earlier than that in my opinion
0: yeah and i, and I see both sides of that argument yeah um I also see the fact that, yeah, that physically you're probably more capable at a younger age, but I also see a big key with refereeing is man management mm. and dealing with adversity. And I actually think if you put a 22-year-old into first grade now, I don't think – this is just my own my personal opinion – the fact that they probably haven't had a career and dealt with adults uh, outside of rugby league can probably be to their detriment a little bit. Um, and it look, and that's – just the nature of what it is you have to be mature enough to deal with the pressures that come with it uh if you think about now social media and how much guys in their early 20s engage in that and it's easily done it's and it's not something that guys in their 30s or mid or late 30s necessarily have to be involved with and if you think about all the feedback that you get on that as a referee uh you've got to be pretty wise as to what you take in and whether or not that's going to benefit your career or sometimes it is. interesting you
1: brought up social media because, like, literally you don't do much social media at all, do you? No. No. I think that's a good thing. Like, I just found out, like, on your iPhone, you can figure out, like, how much time you spend on each app. Yeah. And you can track it. And, like, this week it's been horrendous. Like, the amount of Instagram usage and things like that, especially when you're on a – for mine it's mostly when I'm on a commute. Yeah. But still I shouldn't be, like – like, the other day I looked at the train – and every single person was on their phone. Like, mm-hmm. in society, it's like, shouldn't we be communicating with each other? Like we have it now, we're having a yarn, you know? Yeah. That's way better than trying to be on your phone and just... Yeah. It just... Yeah, it was, it was scary, like, where the world's gone.
0: Oh, it is scary. But I also think, like, guys used to get on the train to go to work and read the paper every day. Yeah. Um, which is, if you're on Twitter, you're probably doing the same probably thing. Probably doing the same thing, seeking some information. But you're right. It's... I engage in it probably a little bit less um, than maybe a 22-year-old. Mm. And and that's deliberate. That's a deliberate action because I'm like, well, I know if, if my name's on social media after a game, it's not going to be because I refereed well. It's going to be because someone has a problem with what I did.
1: It must be tough, mate, but because unfortunately in rugby league someone has to lose. Yep. So when someone loses... The automatic first thing to do is to blame the referee, and it happens every game.
0: Like, oh, and that's a cultural thing yeah. among the game. I, I like where I went to school. We played rugby union, um, and then in 2005, I was, just went back and played um, suburban rugby while I was refereeing. Yeah, and it's it's a different culture in terms of the way that officials are treated, um, and for whatever reason that is, I, I don't know, but there has to be a responsibility on supporters and, and those that play the game not to just blame the official because it's okay. We're big enough and ugly enough in first grade to cop that, right? Yeah. And we've been doing it, so 1997, so it's like 22 years next year I've been doing it and that's a lot of time to put up with garbage and know what to filter in and what kind of feedback to take. But if I was a 15-year-old, if I had a 15-year-old son now that said to me, Dad, I want a ref." I'd probably advise him against it yeah um, because unfortunately what happens in first grade and, and the fallout of um, a bad decision people think that it's there right then to put that on to young kids and I've actually said this uh, at a presentation night recently that I think as a game not and this isn't just to rugby league but people in sport need to be really careful with how they deal with young officials if you think about i spent nine years you know as a high school teacher yeah and you think about the mental health of young boys and girls at around the 14 15 year old age group right it's a really difficult time it's a delicate situation yeah really delicate delicate people and you know what they're vulnerable as they are yet these young men and women take up refereeing which isn't a team sport at that age. Mm. It's like you throw yourself out there to take up a brand new skill in a vulnerable environment like and it's hostile. So th- it's not just yeah, the it can 15 be dangerous.
1: You in- remember those times when there was like parents chasing refs on the field like yeah. it happened in a few semi-finals, I remember it at St. Clair.
0: Yeah.
1: Kid- I, yeah.
0: I, the young kids cop and like that's that's mentally hard on kids. Mm. They don't have teammates out there that they can fall on and say, oh, mate, don't worry about it. Right? These are kids that are out in the middle of the field. And the other thing I try to impart on people when they talk about young referees is I started at 15. So in 1997, that was my first year of trying a new skill, like the first year I've ever attempted something brand new. We, don't, or we always afford an under six kid the luxury of some time to mm. develop his skill. We don't abuse the under-six kid for dropping the ball or making a mistake because, you know what, it's his first year, he's having a go. Yeah. Even two years or three years down the track, when that kid's nine and he has makes a few mistakes in a game, we don't give it to that kid and abuse him because you're like, oh, look, he's only a kid, he's, give just, him a he's go, just starting. Give him a go, yeah. Whereas a 17 or 18-year-old boy that's taking up the sport or taking up the hobby of refereeing, He's still learning what to do. And
1: they get blasted, man. And
0: and learning by himself, yep. generally. It's not It's not like a... Well, you, we you don't have a to...
1: coach there sitting with you every week. You'll no. get it once every... You have a rotation or you get it maybe once or twice a month if you're lucky.
0: Yep. And if but... you... Look, if you throw an intercept as a eight-year-old kid, someone might chase him down and rectify your error. Yeah. As a referee, you make an error. That's it.
1: And back then, That's you're it. thinking about it heaps too. Yep. And there's no one really to support you as well. But you, you make a good point because, you know, the NRL has put – and a lot of sports has put a lot of effort into stamping like things against – you know, violence against women, yep. which is obviously something that they have to do. But sometimes, they you know, they don't, in my opinion, don't put enough into officials. And I think that's across the sports and you just made yeah. a great point. And it's something that they do need to – because at the moment, like like you said – who's going to come through if this continues? Like, yeah. it's not getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse in terms of abusive officials.
0: And unfortunately, it shouldn't rely on the NRL to implement that mm. as a code. But I, I think guess it, from
1: the top, when they, if you've got someone that's got a lot of money doing it from the top, yeah. you can send a message out and reach a lot of people.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. But I also think that the people that are at the local footy field, yeah, like, just have some respect for another human being. Absolutely. And another man. That Like, that 15-year-old kid someone's son. And... Like the parent of that fifteen-year-old kid might be sitting there and having to listen to his son just get abused. It's about treating. It's just about for me, just about treating people nicely and yeah. kindly. It's a sport, and
1: that's right. Because they that, love
0: the sport. You yeah. d- you don't referee because for the money. You do it because you love the sport, mm. and you know what, playing wasn't the pathway for you.
1: That's a great one. So Tommy, let's take take you back to the start because you have got a very very interesting backstory because both your grandpa. Mm-hmm. And your dad both played at Parramatta. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about both your grandpa Noel yep. and your dad Graham.
0: Yeah, uh, Dad's probably the more famous one. Um, obviously, he was a lot more successful in in the sport of rugby league. I think he played 150 first grade games and, and played at Parramatta for 10 years and the Roosters for two years in between. Yeah. Um, and look, he's to me growing up like Dad was my hero and it's probably now when i look back at it as a as an adult footy was just what dad did like he was always a teacher and and he played footy and you know what like i remember as a as a young boy before i started refereeing i'm like yeah i want to play first grade yeah i want to play first grade and and he's dad who was really influential in my life he so no he played a few games for para uh in the fifties,
1: sort of mid fifties. Yeah, did it? Was he like on the board or something, or the yeah, background yeah. or something yeah. like that? So he was on yeah. the
0: board, and he was actually a ground announcer at Cumberland Oval for a long time. Was he? Yeah. Um, but look, Dad came through, and and he Dad's a really modest man. Um, you know him, and
1: absolutely. You know, I've had more. It's actually funny that I've rarely speak about footy with your dad. Mm. You Not know the me most. Either. You know the most insightful <laughs> person is actually Susan, your mum. Like yeah. you can tell that she's watched so much rugby league because oh, I had yeah. some great conversation about rugby league with your mum. She yeah, knows yeah. a lot.
0: Yeah, and and look, it's different when you're involved in it, and then when you're watching it. Yeah. Um, and you probably recall a lot more things if you're watching them when you you've been involved. Yeah. Uh, in the sport, but Dad, Dad rarely talks about footy. He said it was just a it was a hobby, right? And it was a pastime, and he always credits the teams he was in. And to be honest, before um, a pop passed away, yeah, like he said, he goes out of. Dad and his two brothers, he. Dad was probably the the worst footballer of the lot. And dad'll Dad'll admit that. Dad said all the time. He goes, he actually made it though. Well, he just played in winning teams as a young kid. And when you're playing in winning teams, you get picked for rep teams.
1: It's the right place at the right time, kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And in saying that, I speak to a lot of people who say, look, your dad was like a really good player. Like, don't. I' not do much wrong,
1: that. mate. I was watching, you know, how they have all those flashbacks. I was yeah. watching 81 grand final, Parra and Newtown. Yeah. Mate, he's one of the best players on the field.
0: Yeah. Oh, and he'll always credit. He said, you didn't have to do much playing outside Mick Cronin. because if you were in the right place, you'd get an offload and you'd score. And do you remember when he
1: scored that try and like Sturlow went through and he actually pushes yeah. yeah, and then gets himself space it was mad. Like, it was good.
0: He reckons he scored it, another one. He said if there was a video referee, he scored another one in that game.
1: Why? What, what happened in that one?
0: Uh, there was a, a penalty kicker goal yeah. um, that missed and he ran through and scored um, and Greg Hartley disallowed it. Uh, <laughs> he still swears to this day he scored it. But look, and, and I speak to sort of grandparents and aunties and uncles that were there that day yeah. um, and talk about the significance of um, – of the game and and the win to to the Parramatta community and mm. I've spoken to Dad about it a little bit because like I said he doesn't he doesn't talk about it like he doesn't he won't come watch me referee <laughs> he'd prefer to watch um, golf the news. or something yeah and yeah. I mean, like he enjoys his golf but look that's a backstory that got me to to be involved in rugby league and I remember the reason I took up refereeing was I was playing at Amy Plains out here yeah um,
1: but you were a decent player too
0: yeah I just didn't like the coach. And I'm like, you know what, I'll just have a year off. I'll have a year off, but I didn't want to leave the game. So I thought, you know what, I'll, a kid at school that I was um, that was a good mate of mine was refereeing, and he said, oh, why don't you referee? And I didn't have a part-time job. Who school. was that? Uh, a kid called Josh McPherson. Okay. So he, he'd been doing it for a year, and he goes, mate, you get paid about a 1000 bucks at the end of the year. And I, and I was, didn't work. I didn't have a part-time job. So I'm like, you know what, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go to footy and... At least I'm going to be involved in the game, and I'm going to get paid to do it. I'm not getting injured. I don't have to train two or yep. three nights a week. Um, I thought I'd do it for one year. So that was the end of '97. I'm like, I'm going to get back and play. And then the coach was still there. I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get back. Yeah. I'll, I'll referee again. And the end of '98 season, some people involved in the Penrith Referees Association said, "Mate, you're okay at this. Like, you should stick to it." And yeah. it's funny in, in refereeing, you. If you go okay at it, you generally progress pretty quickly. And sort of by the time I remember referring, I started at 15.
1: You did progress quickly. I remember that first year because we all did kind of like grand finals and semis. Mm. Like I remember me and Jay were kind of like more doing like 10s and 11s. Like mm. you were probably doing
0: 13s and 14s. You were yeah. a bit ahead of us. Well, I remember I remember making my debut in A grade at uh, Cess Blinkhorn Reserve, which is on the Great Western Highway at Colleton. And if you've ever been there – <laughs> like, it, talk about a hostile environment, yeah, like Yeah,
1: it was.
0: I've had experiences there where like, people threw bungers and the whole lot during the game. But they, it was Colleton versus Blacktown City, actually, and I was 17. I was still at school, in high school, and these are guys that were, like, big, men. tough yes. men, yeah. right? And as a 17-year-old kid, you're like, oh, my gosh. And anyway, so he sort of progressed pretty quick and they were pretty good out here at Penrith where they, they'd brought in this... It was. it a development squad, it was the talented referees program they called. Yeah, uh, and look, and that gave us a bit of incentive to to be involved. Uh, and then I think that year, I ended up going into junior reps. Um, and then all of a sudden, you're sort of like, you know what? This is a pretty good, pretty good pastime. And if I stick to it, I might make it.
1: Yeah, hey, Jay, what? Tell I want to ask you? Like, you know, you spoke about going into a new skill before mm. like you're only 15 years old like i was lucky because me and jay went together mm. but you didn't know anyone when you went, walked into that room no. and you were sitting by yourself and like as is everyone was like that would be pretty daunting for a 15 year old to step outside his comfort zone yeah into that like did you feel comfortable or were you were
0: was um, a long time ago now but i do remember it was a small demountable out at <laughs> Saint Saint St. Yeah. Uh, Dominic's College out at Kingswood there, and yeah, it was intimidating. And there was two guys there that ran the course, like Jack Harris, who he passed yep. away this year, but he was a character. Refereed first grade and really <laughs> strictly driven by the law book. Yeah. Um, and John Jordan, and I, I don't think it was the intimidation factor of not knowing anyone in there, mm. but it was about getting an answer wrong in front of other people. Um, and look, they were asking questions about- that's some tough ones. The dimensions of the field and- Remember the one
1: where you, if the dog runs on the field, what happens? Like
0: yeah. You don't know, but- no. no. what? Well, and you, look, to be honest, you kind of sit there and you think, oh, that's never going to happen. That's never going to happen. But you mentioned <laughs> that the 2013 Origin game. <laughs> and I was on the line and it was ANZ Stadium and I'm like, this is surreal. And then Waddy Homewood, uh, the big fella, comes from- The southern end, and I remember being (laughs) down the northern end on the far side of the field, and I saw him. I looked because there's a bit of a commotion, so I looked downfield, and I'm like, "Oh, geez, this big fellow's coming!" Like, and he's big. I'm like, "Someone will catch him for sure, right? (laughs) He'll be in trouble." And but anyway, there you go. So all those years earlier, um, where you learn about having a spectator on the field or a dog or whatever it might be, because they score, they scored off that try, uh, off that play, and they referred to the video ref and they disallowed the try.
1: Um, but, but those tests that we did were hard too, man.
0: Oh, yeah. And look, that, they have to be. You don't – the reason they have to be is because you want those young kids to succeed and be confident and competent uh, at what they do when they get out there.
1: Do you guys still do rules tests? Yeah.
0: As yeah.
1: hard as those ones?
0: Uh, well, when I say they're probably the same questions. Yeah, they probably right? are. But they're not as hard because you're 20 years into the job. Um we probably more now is around terminology with our rules and interpretations um, and make, and the reason that we do that is because if you are challenged on field, hopefully the 16 of us are in first grade that week. Yep. We'll all have the same answer. Uh, And that, and that makes us consistent and that brings credibility to, to our organization. And, and if we're accurate with our laws, that that's the core of our game. Uh, You can't be, you can't be criticized with making the correct decision and, I remember that really stood out for me. I ran a line uh, in that infamous Good Friday game. Yeah, I was on the line no, for right. that when uh, the Bulldogs and Souths. Yep, um, was a penalty goal right in
1: the bell, right, for James Graham hitting Adam Reynolds late. Yep, yep. yep. And look,
0: we <laughs> stuck to the laws of the game um, in terms of what had to happen, and that was it. Made us comfortable and looked professional in in what turned out to be a very. Um, Publicly, sort of analysed decision, but if you if you get the laws right, you're covered.
1: Yeah, that was a that was a big one because I remember because I was going to Mauritius that day. Mm. I was watching the first half of your game on my phone while we were waiting to take off. <laughs> Hours later, I put my phone back on. It's just going nuts. That was like back page paper for a good yeah. week.
0: And look, that wasn't that wasn't a very good look for the game. But what do you have to
1: do in that sort of situation? Like, because literally. You know, you get splashed in front of the paper every day. Do you just switch it off and just not look at it? Is that the best uh, case scenario? Or? Yeah,
0: it's easy to say to do that. But, you know, wherever you look.
1: And then everyone's going to ask you about people it.
0: people ask. Like we're talking about it today still. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's difficult. Like it, it's really difficult to do that. And like I don't buy the paper. Um,
1: but I guess people don't realize, like even other things, like your kids go to school, right?
0: Hmm.
1: One of Emily's kid, you know, friends could say, "Oh, your dad didn't have a good game today," Do you well, know that, what and you? It, that it that affects them too, you know.
0: That did happen, and to be honest, that was probably one of the worst examples that I've felt. Uh, it was in two thousand seventeen, I think, hmm. um, and she obviously goes to school locally, and um, they, yeah, one of the dads sent a message in with with his son, to tell my daughter that. And she, she sort of said, oh, Dad, this kid said this. And it's just a matter of making sure that they they understand that, look, it's garbage. Yeah. And if the dad had a real problem with it, he'd say it to me at school.
1: Yeah, for sure. But oh. still. But no. that,
0: that's, that's actually generally what happens, and that's the experience of other referees. The people that want to challenge you and sort of give it to you, if you see them at the shops, they won't. The people that will talk to you at the shops about footy just want to talk about footy. Mm. It's the ones that are happy to dish out the abuse and, and the negative feedback, it's easy to do it. Um, when it's faceless online. Yeah,
1: but that's why I like, kind of want to do this today because to give people insights into what you go through yep. for your career and your life. Because I don't think people just think that you guys just turn up, that you don't go to training, oh. that you have like the amount of times that you ring me when you're on the road, the amount of time you have to spend away from your family. Like I don't, people, I don't think people get that at no. all. No,
0: and that, that <clears> is hard. Like it's rewarding. I get it. Yeah. Like I've traveled the world. I've been to places that I never would have gone.
1: And you're doing something you love with, for a living too. Not a yeah. lot of people can say that, you know.
0: No. And uh, if I continued teaching, I wouldn't have been to Dubai or Avignon or Wembley or yeah. those places. Like, they're, they're things that come with the job. Right, but the travel is a difficult thing. We I think last year out of 26 rounds, in, with, including the rep round, um, I think I was on the road 20 weeks. And that's... it's a lot, man. And that's, that's exhausting right but it's also we find out our appointments weekly um, so on a Tuesday afternoon mm. so you, you literally sometimes have like two day turnaround or not turnaround but two days to notify your family and that hey I'm off to Townsville or Auckland or um, But just Brisbane. imagine like
1: you've missed birthdays you've missed weddings oh. for your mates yep but you know, there's so much that you guys, like you said, the turnarounds two days. Like yeah. a lot of people get to plan their things months in ahead. Yeah. But yeah, you guys. Don't oh, know you
0: that. say no to a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but look, there. Gavin Badger actually taught me this, uh, and I actually really like it. And I'm, when he retires, I'm going to use it as my as my motto. <laughs> but uh, I will credit him while he's still around that you don't make sacrifices; you make choices. And for me. I choose to do what I do. Yeah. Like I don't have to, I don't have to referee mm. and I know that they, those things come with the job. So I choose to do that. Um, yeah. This it's, I suppose it's what you're going to interpret as a sacrifice, but probably as a kid, you, as a young kid and you're constantly saying no to mates parties and yep. their they're sacrifices uh, or choosing not to go out yep. um, because you want to sort of make a, make a fist of what you're doing. They're sacrifices. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, but there, that's just the nature of what it is if you want to get to the top. And I imagine that's across all sports, like golfers, tennis players, rugby league players, people in the corporate world. Everyone makes choices mm. if they want to get to the top. That's a good one by badge. Yeah, I know. That's what I reckon. That's why I'm taking it. Yeah. He's
1: coaching, right? Is he uh, coaching yeah. junior development? Yeah, he's yeah, part, he he's
0: coaching junior reps. That's um, good. He's and it's really good, good to have someone that's currently involved in it.
1: That's something you might want to do?
0: Um i don't know if i'd be a good coach what do you mean uh oh, i don't you got a
1: lot to give mate so yeah I'd... and you got a fresh perspective on i think you're very open to learning like a lot of people are stuck in their ways yeah you seem to be very open to
0: well it's funny that I say that because yeah, you know, <clears throat> spending a lot of time as a teacher like that is to... coaching man that's coach that's a form of coaching but yep. yeah i'm not sure i'd prefer i think to getting into broadcasting or or sports media but and that's where my passion is. Mm. And hopefully, use the skill set that I've got because there's not many of us that sort of referee f- first grade. Yeah. Um, so, hopefully, that adds a little bit of difference to whoever uh, requires that.
1: Yeah. So, talk to me a little bit about your development coming through. You know, you, you're 15. Yeah. Because you made junior reps quite early, too. You were pretty yep. much 18 on the dot, right?
0: Yeah, I think I was there just before seven. Yeah, 18. Seven. Yeah. And I, to be honest. Was, was
1: that at Oval when you got uh,
0: in? Yeah, I think so. Even which is funny because we still train at Lincoln Mobile now, uh, which is a f- sort of gone full circle. It's nice. in better, it's in better nick now. <laughs>
1: Can you imagine, like when your dad played? That was actually one of the main grounds in Sydney.
0: Yeah, I know. Oh, it's actually in really good nick. The field itself at the moment is in really good nick. And I, yeah, if I was a marketing person, I'd be. Uh, West
1: Tigers should play like a. Well, trial West Tigers
0: should play against Manly. I, this is my opinion, and branded as the Fibros versus silver Towers and get people to sit uh just outside the bike track i love retro week that's my favorite week. and just me. do it in the trials like it's not going to sort of cost you yeah. but look that's that's another story but as a development yeah you, i actually think i made it always picked in junior reps too early who
1: scouted you i had bungate i remember he just Peter turned out Bung- yeah. he was turning up four weeks in a row at my games
0: yeah i can't remember what been um, him or les matthews
1: i reckon yeah les really liked you he had yeah. a big rap on you.
0: Yeah. But I, I spent a long time in junior reps. So to be honest, it was too long. Yeah. Because I actually thought then, well, I'm not moving anywhere. Um, and I think I was in junior. Was about to go into my eighth season before I got graded. Wow. Which – uh, seventh or eighth season. And I, I think that's too long to be involved in in junior reps because you make it at a young age, you're like, right, I'm on the path here to first mm. grade. It's um, such a yo-yo
1: when you're in there too, hey, like because you –
0: it's such a short week, yeah. short competition. So, so you have one bad game. One bad game, you're out for the yeah. season yeah. and it's like 12 months before you get your chance to come back.
1: Um, and everyone at that stage is, is pretty level. So you lose your spot, someone's coming in, like yeah. there's 50 guys they've got in there. Everyone's yeah. good.
0: And I had a really bad training ethic then. Like my attitude, my work ethic to training was really bad. And I remember...
1: What changed it?
0: Um, I think you lose a bit of you lose a bit of drive when you've been there so long yeah. because you sit there and you're like, why am I training so hard? Mm. I, don't, I can't see myself going anywhere. I'm not getting games. And I remember I remember up here on the Northern Road one day, I was we were turning on the Northern Road, we've got a flat tyre and I'm like, oh, well, let's not go to junior reps. And I said to the boys in the car, no, let's ring and say I've got a flat tyre, I can't go because it was too hard. And the training was hard. And like I'm in... I'm embarrassed to sort of say that now because we end up changing the tire and getting to training but
1: it's a turning point in your career, but mate.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it changed probably when you when I got graded, I'm like, that's it. I'm gonna come back and train really hard. Mm. But then again, during that period of grade, I remember going to Europe with a mate uh, in an off season and like I put on a significant amount of weight. Like and it was really like it was embarrassing when I look back, and and it was then that I'm like, I'm gonna have to get fit, I have to get fitter, and and that happens again, like it happened um, the end of 2017. Came back from the World Cup, which was in Brisbane. We were based in Brisbane, but yeah. it was when Madge, the first real conversation I had with him, and I'll, I'll probably never forget it, was there's um obviously the Wanda Sand Dunes. We just finished a session there just before just before Christmas it was probably twelve months ago now actually it was 12 it was the last session yeah and I spoke to him there's um Green Hills park there's a park there and he said to me he goes pretty much have a look at, like are you happy with what what's standing here uh and I went oh well yeah I'll, I'll get back into it and he goes well no no hey you, you're gonna have to if you want to change you got to change it and he actually let me, he said, oh, I'll speak to you and I'll give you a book. Uh, and look, a lot of people have probably seen it at, um, on Facebook. It's a talk about make your own bed, yeah, right? And always make your bed. And it's a small book. He gave me the actual book, but it, it's a, um, a military leader in the in the US. who had yeah. done a lot of work in the States, uh, in the US military and led some, it was, I think he was SAS or something like that. Um, and talks about all the lessons. I think it's seven lessons that he learned uh, during that time. And they'll, if you ever get the chance to read this book, it, like it's twenty pages, like small pages, and like that change. That was probably the first book I read. And I'm like, I can get a lot of stuff if I start reading like this. Um, and one of the things, and it sat with me. We were doing these continuous runs last preseason, where it was pretty much you'd run around the outside of lincoln mobile and then up the middle It was like a big butterfly drill and it was you'd run for two minutes have 30 seconds off run for two minutes and it was sort of steady state running yeah um and one of the chapters in the book was enjoy the circus and i remember and it still sticks to me today when training gets hard because the idea behind that chapter was the guy that was in the military and look what we do at training is nothing like what those guys go through. And I mm. never, ever want to compare that. And when people say training or footies like going to war and all that, like it's not. Yeah. Really. It's But these guys I have a lot of respect for. And uh, The chapter spoke about how sometimes things aren't fair. Um, he said that they used to have a group where they called it the circus. Yeah. So if you didn't train hard enough during his military training – like, and you would train really, really hard session or difficult sessions during the day. If they believe that you didn't train hard enough, you had to come out, I think it was that afternoon or the next morning before training and do it again, do more, right? And they called it the circus. Yeah. And he goes, and so often you'd get put in the circus for no reason. They Robert, just want to test
1: your, men- yep. your mental strength, right?
0: And so his theory was, <laughs> well, you know what? Enjoy the circus because while I'm here – Doing the extras, mm. I'm actually getting better. Absolutely, I'm getting better than the guys that aren't.
1: Um, and when it happens again, like they know they've been through it, so it's an, it's easy mentally because yep. the, they've gone through that breaking point already.
0: Yep, and it was, and I, it would. I remember it resonated through me during the sessions where I'm like, just enjoy the circus. Yeah, I remember running past Madge in the middle of. Um, I ran past him and I said, "I'm enjoying the circus, mate. I'm enjoying the circus," and I think he'd realised that I'd read the book by then. But and that's their changes, and that was a change still, 20 years into my career, um, where it happens this year, where there was no World Cup. I continued just to do a little bit of stuff. I spent some time overseas um, on a holiday, but and like if you've ever been to Japan, the the motel rooms are pretty small, Mm. so you've got to. Make the most of what you've got, and I it's thought, you bit- know what? I'm going to come back this year. I finished on a semi final last year, yep. I'm going to come back better again, and I'm going to make sure that I, I want to be a standout in the preseason. Um, and just yeah. back to
1: the book quickly you know, yeah. you told me about this last year, you don't know this ever since then. I've been making my bed every day, mm. and it's a great way to start the day. I think it's the best way to start the day because you feel. It's just a small little accomplishment that you do in the morning. So, and
0: that's his point. That's the point about make your bed every day. Yeah, at least man. if you have the worst day ever, you know what you've achieved something. And when you get home, and I like
1: that's why I train in the morning as well because yeah. I go make my bed, jump on the train, on the train, I'm like I do some gratitude and write some goals. Yeah, and then I do my gym. So by the time I hit the desk at eight o'clock. Everyone else is just walking in like they've just woken up, right? Mm. I've just already accomplished all these little things that I needed to do. So if I have a shit day, I've already done all that stuff. Like you just mentioned.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and it's It might seem like trivial, but the lessons I learn out of it, and like I said, I mean, people have seen it on Facebook, seen the speech, but do the you actual what that book, book was called Sorry, Joe. It's called Make Your Bed. Make Your Bed. Or you make, bed. make Your Bed. But
1: you have to get that one. Have you got it?
0: No, I gave it back to Madge. I actually looked for it in bookshop, but they didn't have it, so you might have to find I it might online. might Google it or something. Um, but, yeah, it's really good. And, they, look, there's a lot of lessons for young referees in there. There's a chapter about the sharks circling where they had to do night swims out um, <laughs> no. off the coast of the US and where they had sharks. And he's like, if they said if sharks start circling, you punch it in the face. <laughs> oh, my God. He goes, and, that, and for us as referees, like the sharks of the public and the media and all those people that have that negative opinion of your performance. Yeah. And you're like, well, you're not going to win. I'm going to punch you in the face and I'm going to swim faster. Um, and that's just... What did Madge say to you? Because
1: you, it was actually funny that a game, Brisbane versus Cronulla, yep. it was funny that there was two people on that field that dramatically changed in that back end of the season. One was you and one was Chad Townsend. Mm. Chad had a shocker that day you didn't have your best game that day either mm-hmm. but for you guys your back end of the seasons were great mm. What did Madge, did Madge have a chat to you or any of the coaches after that game like how did you kind of rebound from kind of not having your best game
0: uh, yeah that was that was a fair knock um, it had actually come it was the week after um, they sort of had the big drama at Cronulla and Canberra mm. um, so there's a lot of pressure that it sort of come, I think it was a Thursday night game. So it was the next week. It was the first game that was going to sort of bring a lot of attention and that yeah. involved Cronulla. And, yeah, there's a couple of decisions that we didn't get right. Um, but I think being more mature, the year before I'd had a similar thing with Penrith and the Roosters in round three, and I, I probably didn't handle that really well. Yeah. Um, and I let it, like it hung on to me, and I'll continually refer to it. And I felt aggrieved and ripped off um, as a result of that. But after this week, I'm like, well, you know what? I'll make uh, – next week, I'll continue to just make the same decision. Um, sorry, if I get a similar situation, I'll learn from that decision. I, I think It was it was a decision about tackling the air. Yeah. right. And look, ultimately, no one scored off it. They didn't kick a penalty goal or anything. But it was a controversial decision but what it does and I actually what I took out of it myself and a lot of it in refereeing is what you learn for yourself was that if that happens to me again I'll know to refer back to it immediately yeah, and I'll know what to look for and that's actually I think how I referee that's how you get better and this is why when you're at the elite it like level it's like creating
1: a process sort of thing for yourself
0: well I think it just sits in your mind you're like I've been in this environment I've been in this situation before yeah, and that's why you get better as referees Because if if you're not if you get the same thing pop up again in two weeks' time or even three years time. Yeah. And you haven't learnt and you do the same thing, it's kind of like I'm not getting better. But I think referees at the elite level are are good at that. Where you've experienced so much in your career, like I reckon I've refereed over a thousand games of football. Like fifteen hundred probably, if you include schoolboy football. So you, you go through a lot, right? And you've had a lot of different situations that you see and your instinct and your intuition tells you, hey, I've been in that situation before. And it's it different to
1: watching it on tape too, isn't it? You have to I actually am. experience it, don't you?
0: You have to experience it. And sometimes you you, you don't go out there to, to get it wrong. Mm. You go with, what at the time, what you think is right. Now, and this is what people speak about. Referees should have press conferences. It's going to be the most boring press conference ever. because you
1: make that decision? That's what I saw at the time.
0: Yeah, Well, why did you call that forward? I don't and you know. you go, I haven't seen I it yet. Thought it was forward <laughs> exactly. And it's it. and look, there's there's a need to be accountable for a number of things.
1: You got coaches. You're accountable to your coaches. Yeah. yeah. So and to your peers. So I think that's as far as it has to go.
0: And the challenge is, look at. Um, you could have a really good game as a referee, like a really good game, mm. and you get one one decision <laughs> wrong, yeah, and then you're the worst referee in the world and everyone's calling for you to be dropped. That doesn't happen in elite sport across uh, for the players. Like someone That's could have the a-
1: spectators don't even know when a referee's had a good game. Like no. generally you'll get a rap if you don't get spoken about. Yeah. <laughs> that is so weird. That's the weirdest thing that I don't get.
0: But you've actually got it as a referee, you've it's an individual like game so you've got to know within yourself whether you've gone well and you've got to be honest like sometimes you won't get spoken about and you've had a like a shocker and that's just the nature of sports media in the like probably not in this country but in a lot of countries that mm. sometimes other things like take over i remember two thousand and nine uh uh no two thousand and ten i think i was running a line it was at ANZ, it was roost, uh, South mm. and Para, and we like as a as a group of officials, we got something significantly wrong, and it was on the back of the paper, right on the Monday morning. Um, and there's a big fallout of it, and the next we're like, it, like it felt like the world was falling down, because as a young official, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never been involved in this, and there's the pressure of all that um, the press that's come out, yeah. But then the next day, the story breaks – or sorry, that afternoon, on the Monday afternoon, the story breaks about the Melbourne Storm Salary cap. like the first time that big yeah. um, story broke. So all of a sudden, like, we're not even spoken about for – everyone forgot about it. And that's just the nature of of um, the 24-hour news cycle. Something will pop up and take pressure off you. And then other, at other times, when there's no stories, officials are, are like – an easy target. Um, sometimes justified and sometimes not. But it's just, you've just got to accept that they're the realities of sport. Mm-hmm.
1: But the mentality of being a referee, like, I still remember when we used to do it, like, we're good mates, but we're competing mm. for a spot for a grand final. Like, sports teams are lucky because they have an end goal, they want to win the competition.
0: Mm.
1: For the NRL, for referees or officials across the board, you're competing to do the premier game at the end of the season. So talk me a little bit about being mates with people, but at Mm. the same time having to be, you're not really a team until like, realistically, you're not selected to be a team until Tuesday. Mm. And then realistically, some of these guys might be competing with you the next week. Like, how do you deal with all that?
0: Like, it's hard. It's kind of like you're in a team environment on an individual pursuit. um, But, I think our attitude as a group now has changed around that. Yeah. Um, and I think previously we've looked at how sporting teams do it and build their culture, and I think we, we had a bit of a shift around that where we've, if you look at cycling, for example, yeah, or swimming, so everyone in Australian swimming, they'll have a squad that go to the Olympics, right, and they'll train together and they'll push each other. But when they, they get to standing on the blocks – It's about racing each other, right? And it's not about bringing down your mate. It's about if we work together as a squad at training um, and throughout the year and when we do work with each other, Mm. we'll get the best out of each other. And then when the the start gun goes, well, someone's going to win. It's just a matter of understanding that, you know what, I'm going to work really hard. And I'm going to push my mate. So we're actually competing really well at the end of the year. I want to know that I've given my all. And if someone's beaten me to the top prize, that they were just better. Mm. Uh, and what about within
1: the squad? Like I know yourself, you do a lot of for the squad in terms of like leadership stuff. Like mm. who are the other boys that kind of put their hand up to be kind of, is it just the senior guys that generally do it?
0: Or? Uh, no, not necessarily. No. Um, leadership sort of extends beyond... Leadership group. Mm. Um, we, Do you guys have a leadership group? Yeah, yeah, we did this year, uh, and pretty much it was the first time we've had one in a long time, mm. um, and it ended up sort of being the senior guys. Who's on that? Uh, oh, we had oh Matt Chechen, Ash Klein, yep. Benny Cummins, uh, Jerry Sutton, mm-hmm. and Badge. Okay. Um, but in saying that, I saw signs of leadership in two thousand and eighteen season from guys that have been in the squad for. A year or two. Okay, cool. Uh, and they're natural leaders and everyone comes across leaders within their time that aren't necessarily on that on that group or that committee.
1: I think it's important, like I spoke to Luke Lewis about it, not needing to be, have a C next to your name to take a leadership approach. And I think in the, even in the workforce, yeah. like I do it now, it Doesn't I don't have to be the manager no. to take – control and just show some of the younger guys how it is and even some of the senior guys that I think is sharing all that knowledge and I think yep. that's something you can just you don't need to be an official title to show leadership.
0: And I I'll, I'll give you a really specific example. Ben, Benny Cummins is a like he to me yeah. He's a really respected guy in the squad and's been yep. there a long time. So we went away for pre-season camp recently to Kununbarran. Mhm. We slept in the um the school or wasn't the school hall it was the community centre like they had a basketball court and so we had airbeds and we were spread out 16 so it was a pretty big area and it was interesting because it was still used at the youth centre so you try to have a bit of rest in the afternoon and some of the local kids are coming in shooting threes you're like oh can you stop with that basketball um, but it got to the last day and uh, this is how leadership works right it's not about getting up the front and pumping everyone up Yeah, we cleaned up and I think. I was still putting some stuff away and I looked and Benny picked up, you know, in basketball court, you get the big brooms Yeah. and we'd been there a week, right? It's probably easy for us to pick up all our stuff, our sleeping bags, um, air beds, everything, pick it all up and go, yep, tidy, right? Everything we own is gone. Benny picked up this broom unasked and just started the perimeter, right? Just sweeping. Sweeping. And it's a basketball court. Like, you know what a big basketball a court big, like that is? Yeah. Um, And what it did, when I saw it, I'm like, "Oh, that's." next minute, other people had seen it and just picked up a broom and started sweeping. No one asked them to do that. But people went, you know what, I hadn't thought about that, but that looks like the right thing to do. And then, you know what, that is the right thing to do. So I'm just going to pick one up and we'll just do it together. And that's a really, really simple example of leadership.
1: You look at other things where that's, a good one. that's an all. That's All Blacks theory, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if Benny's read their book Legacy, but I, I understand it's a similar attitude. Mm. But there's other things like um, we've got guys in the squad that aren't great with rehab or, or prehab, probably more yeah. now. Um, but then a guy like Gav Reynolds, who's a good mate of ours, he yeah. he's really thorough with it. So he'll, he'll he'll you'll find him in the gym doing like prehab before anyone else gets down there.
1: If big so, big did, rap before we go. Big rap, rap to Funky. I know he'd probably be listening. How big are his arms going?
0: Well, there's a recent tweet about us collecting hampers, and seriously, his arms are gigantic. <laughs> Mate,
1: they're bigger than Paul. He, people call him Paul Gallen because he looks a little bit like him. He's bigger than Gao.
0: Yeah. Well, we went to school together, the, the three of us, but he uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he does look like him. I don't think they've been seen the same place. But um, he, in terms of leadership there, he. Is a great example for guys that aren't good Mm, at it. Absolutely. And so he will take, he will grab a guy and go, hey, mate, you've got to do some glute work. Come on, I'm going to get out now. Do you want to do some? But that's their little things as done. If no one was in the office, no one would know. Not everyone knows that that happens.
1: Um, But I guess it's when you can do things without people watching, I think that's when you're going to build.
0: It's a true test of your character. Yep. And. So, and I yeah you can't I know where I am in in the group now and if there's if I have to deal with adversity there's a responsibility on me to do that in the right way because there's young guys in the squad that are going to come through and and put themselves in that position and hopefully if I lead by example they will they will do the same uh, and deal with it in the best way because that's actually best for the squad because you don't yeah. want guys coming into the office with a tail between their legs after a tough decision or a tough week because that doesn't sort of help anyone.
1: Yeah, but I think you carry yourself really well off the field. Like even when we went to that Penrith because you got life membership this year. Yeah. So at that presentation, like the kids there, like they looked at you like an idol, man. Like did. And that's just the way it is because they want to do what you do.
0: Yeah. And I remember being in those kids' shoes.
1: Exactly. Remember how we used to look at Robbo and all those guys, man. Those
0: guys are in first grade. You're like – I wanna be like them.
1: I remember but, Robbo dropped off my first ever outfit and I was just amazed because this guy was in reserve grade and, yeah. and it made me feel good, you know. Yep. And that's the kind of impact that you can have as a role model on yeah. them, do you know.
0: And yeah. And I used to think that they were like they were superheroes. you like I remember Robbo coming on at Sydney Showground after Steve Clark did his foot. Yeah. And all of a sudden Robbo's in first grade. You're like, oh, this guy's it but and you, you sort of get to that point now. But you're just a, you're just a man, and you're just a dad, and you're just a mate. Yeah. And sometimes you got to remember that, and that's why it's really important to have things away from the sport, because you you get like you turn the TV on now, and there might be a classic game on, and you're on. Or I was at dinner the other night, and they had like, do you know, those programs where they show all the tries of a season yep. from a club, and so you you might see on the TV you're like, oh, but then you're like, well, no, I'm just the dad that picks up the kids from school, or goes and gets groceries or whatever it might be Mm. and you're just a human being and you know what footy will go away and you're just a human being again. yeah exactly and that's as long as you keep uh, a bit of a a gauge on making sure that you're you're doing all those things i think you'll be better off for it
1: i think there's one advantage of refereeing over playing though i think your exit out of the game will be a lot smoother because of the fact that you actually were in the workforce first yep And you don't really – because you had to work so hard to get to where you are now, like literally you're going to be a full-time referee by the time you finish maybe for 10 years. Mm. So you didn't really have all those luxuries that players are afforded. And you probably have a longer career too because you're not – realistically you're not going to be having the impact of getting tackled every week and things like that. Yeah,
0: you you would think you're less likely to go out through injury. Mm. Um, But the other thing is you've got to study like – I've continued to study. I was
1: was going to ask you that. Like, why? Because you just did a master's in communications and you've got two degrees as well. you got your school teaching and then you've also got another bachelor's in communication. Yeah. What made you kind of, you know, today's day and age where, you know, everyone's, you know, playing PlayStation and all that sort of rubbish and, you know, even being a father's hard enough. Mm. Like, what made you kind of get outside that box and want to do more study?
0: Uh, To be honest, I was being when I went full time, I was getting bored. And I'm like, well, the NRL are going to assist with some education grants mm. uh, and sort of give you a little bit of some money back. So I thought, you know what, if I'm sitting on a plane going to Townsville for three hours, I might as well read.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and do some study. But look, I actually take back what I said just a minute ago about you need to continue to study because study's not for everyone. Yeah. Right. Some people uh, are workers. Maybe not
1: study, maybe learning. Maybe learning would probably yeah, be Yeah, or just advance
0: yourself in some yeah. way. And you know what? It might be that you continue to stay – if you can continue to stay in the workforce. Mm. Um, and it's not – I'm not saying everyone needs to go and do a master's, right? You might do a, a TAFE course, um, something just to prepare yourself for when it finishes. Um, and, yeah, I've looked again at a fourth degree, but I don't What's think – I can afford it. Uh, well, I'm not going to do it, so – I think I, I'm gonna. I'm not
1: about it, mate. You're, a, you're you're a planner. You're definitely doing it. What are you doing?
0: No, I did look closely at doing a PhD, but
1: really just, in media. Yeah, something around communications, journalism, yeah. sort of thing.
0: Yeah, but I don't. I don't think I'd be able to fully commit to that, and mm. I I think that would be unfair on myself and and yeah. the family and.
1: Maybe when you finish, Woody. You- yeah. You're still gonna be young.
0: It's unfair on my wallet. <laughs> very expensive, uh, aren't they? Yeah, and I, yeah, I'd, it's something that I'd like. I'd like to do one at one stage, but mm. I just think uh, I've got the right balance now. And you're like brains, a
1: butt. What did you get in your HSC? I'm not gonna. You're say in nineties, didn't say
0: you? No, I'm not saying, but that.
1: you got a very smart family because Leah's very smart. She got in the nineties as well. Your dad's school teacher, he was brains Atkins when yeah. he was. Even your two daughters are very smart too.
0: Yeah. They don't put their stuff away, though. They keep messing <laughs> messing the house up. Um, That's
1: what Lisa says about you, too, mate.
0: Yeah. Oh, look, and it's not a education. I value education a lot, um, but like I said, yeah, as long as you've got something to take you away, and, and reading for me now is something that gives me an out. Yeah. A couple of years, uh, a couple of years ago, I got a guitar and did guitar lessons. I enjoy playing guitar. Like it's just something that you get to do away from. What's a very very stressful job?
1: Mm. All right, Joey, tell me about your NRL debut because it was freezing cold down in Canberra.
0: Yeah, yeah, I remember it really well. It was who an gave you the exact
1: call up though before uh, we go so into the game. Finchy,
0: yeah, there was a there was a game in Adelaide. It was Cowboys and Sharks mm-hmm. the week before, um, and a guy Peter Kirby who was a touchdown in first grade, He made an error about a foot on the line, or it was it was an error anyway. So Finchie, I actually thought, oh well. That's fine. Uh, and I just started, it was round seven. Uh, so he'd done that in round six. Round yep. seven was when I debuted. And I th- I'd just started the NRL squad part-time. So part-time, yeah. Um, and I hadn't run a line for a long time. And so we ended up, um, I ended up having to run a line in at ANZ Stadium in a 20s. 20s comp was in then on the Thursday, I think. What, just as a pre- Friday preparation? Friday. Like you haven't run a line... Since last year, go and run a line, then go to Canberra <laughs> yeah. the next day.
1: Was that intentional? They did that so yeah, give yeah, you a just little bit of a give you a run, run in sort of. Thing, and Finchy
0: yeah. rang, and I remember I was in my bedroom when he rang and and told me. And for me, it was like the greatest thing ever. And I remember you came down, and it was Canterbury and uh, Canberra yep. on? Um, it was freezing, in I think man. it was a two o'clock game on the Sunday. It was Easter week. It was sorry, it was an Anzac weekend. Um, it was like sleep was we sleet in the warm-up. Yep. Uh, and to me, Canberra's... I love refereeing. Canberra's actually one of my favourite places to referee. It's a great ground, man. Yeah, it's and I, really nice I actually ground. find that for a number of reasons, but I think it always holds a special place to debut on the line. Mm. Um, but my refereeing debut I, was probably more special. Um, it came in 2011, round 25.
1: Um, Things happen for a reason, but Joey, I reckon. Like, yeah. Because you got to do it at Para with Robbo.
0: Yeah. So Jason Robinson, who... My dad had taught and he'd been a role model to me as a a referee from Penrith. Uh, I got paired up with him. Uh, And I had never – we'd never been involved in – I'd never had a golden point game in all those lines I'd run and then my debut was a golden point game. It was actually – you know, what? it was actually the same – remember they played two Friday night footy games at the same time and they showed one at 7.30 and one at 9.30. 930, Mine was a 9.30 game because the 7.30 game was um, the brawl at Brookie the same night. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it was really special because, like I mentioned earlier, Dad had played for Parramatta and the Roosters and both teams, they played each other in this game. Um, and it was at Paris Stadium where I had gone as a kid to watch Dad train and sort yep. of hang out. And I remember yeah, Dad had had a reunion that night. So he came and presented my jersey. Uh, and then naturally, when they have a reunion, they create a guard of honour um, for the players. And I remember going out and there's guys that I grew up with that, we're always at our house. Like there's Eric Groth and Brett Kenny and, and there's obviously Dad and, and some other mates, um, John yep. Muggleton, and they all were on the in the guard of honour. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what other referee has debuted, where his dad's doing the guard <laughs> of honour for him? Yeah, that's so good. And look, they'd been at the club. They'd been over the league's club for a while. So I'm not sure that. Um, Dad remembers the presentation of the jersey as vividly as <laughs> I do, but it was quite a funny thing because to present it to me and then obviously to um, – he reckons he didn't know where the referee's dressing room was. He went into the home dressing room, he reckons. I'm like, yeah, you're a good You're, you're an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and that was really special for me. And I remember that was at a time where uh, it's a bit different the way it is now in terms of a head referee. Yeah. Um, it was sort of just 50-50 and – yeah, well, it was a draw. and <laughs> got to Golden Point and Robbo goes, you ref Golden Point. This is my first game, my first game, you referee it. So I end up refereeing and award the winning field goal and everything. And I'm like, oh, my God.
1: Like, Who won? The Roosters won, didn't they? The and that's it? the kicker field goal?
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 And so there's, there's guys out there that sort of – it was funny because I'd refereed like Eric Groth Jr. and I grew up together. Yeah. And like now you're refereeing him. It's like, oh my gosh, this is this is the real deal. And it was different to running the line, completely different to running the line. Um, but, but at that
1: time, you're still part-time, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't – and this is what's really strange. I was part-time. So that was round 25 in 2011. Yeah. I didn't do my second game of first grade until 53 weeks later. Round 26, uh, I was paraing St. George – it was, I think, High Marsh and Luke Burt's last game, oh, and yeah. Ben Hornby. And
1: Hindy tried to kick that goal at last. <laughs>
0: we did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he got it. And so that was my second game was in front of 40, 43,000 people at um, at ANZ. So then, the I, then I. the patience
1: to try and, like, because once you got a taste, you must have been wanting to oh, do yeah, it every to week. Oh, yeah, you wait right? like
0: a whole year. And then I go full time at the end of that year. Yeah. Um, 2013, Daniel Anderson comes in. And funny story, I was. When, remember in year 10, everyone had to do work experience, right? Mm. And so I actually – Daniel was a development officer at Parramatta yep. at the time and I was only 15. I'm like, oh, it would be good, good to get in the sport. So I was – he was the guy that I went on work experience with. Because he's mates with Darrell, right? Yeah, so he's sort of family friends. and Yeah. he um, So he ended up becoming the boss. And I thought, oh, this is going to be okay because sort of family friend and yeah, like I thought, this is going to be easy – I only refereed five games that year and I got to go because Gav Reynolds got injured. Yeah. So by the end of 2013, I'd done seven games of first grade and it was really... I'm like, how am I ever going to get a crack here? Luckily for me, I was still running lines then mm. and at the end of that year, I sort of did the semi-final series in 2013 um, and then went to the World Cup that year uh, over in the UK for six weeks and for me as a touch judge over there like that was like that was magnificent it was I remember doing I was really lucky like I did some really high profile games I did there was like Australia England was my first yeah. game and that was at Cardiff um, that's but, the one where
1: they shut the roof and stuff shut the roof, right the yeah. yeah Millennium so it was Stadium is Millennium called? Stadium yeah. Yeah.
0: and if you've ever been to Cardiff like you go to Cardiff Castle which is historically really significant yeah I remember sitting there and going it's the first time I think I've ever been to Castle and then looking over the city and so we did that and then...
1: We you know was, sacrifices again because we had Tim's Bucks party. Yeah, a really good mate of mine. I was, and we were watching it while at the pub.
0: I was a groomsman at his wedding. Yeah.
1: And it was like, I think it was like 12 o'clock at night or one o'clock at night. And yeah, we and all I mean, just stood around this table just watching you. And well, was I was meant like, to was arrange cool. that. Yeah. And
0: yeah, we end up not doing it. And But yeah, that was a really good trip. Um, like even France, New Zealand, it was, I think it was Halloween. It was in... Avignon and I'd, yeah, I'd never that. really heard of Avignon Yeah, and then all of a sudden I'm in like Old Avignon where
1: that's like a wine area right
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was in terms of um, the, the Catholic history of it mm. and I remember standing there and this is what a really vivid memory it was 42 nil but the French crowd and there's only 17,000 people there were like they were wild hey? <laughs> and I remember standing at standing in front of the crowd and there's 17,000 Frenchmen Oh, and women, um, and looking and hearing the French national anthem from all of them, and it's like, I oh, like I get goosebumps thinking about it now. Yeah. But that same trip, you end up end up doing the semi final, which is the greatest game of rugby league I've ever been involved in. It was, was that? At Wem- Did you do at the Wembley? Wembley one? Yeah, yeah. England and um, New Zealand. John Johnson England, on the bell, England right? We're going to win, right? England, we're going to make the final of the World Cup, uh, and. That's the other. So Sean Johnson scores right at the end and kicks the goal.
1: I love Sean Johnson
0: and Dean Vare. So Dean Vare yeah. throws that flick pass right on my side, yeah. and it's funny. I saw him at the shops the other day, and I spoke to him. I said, "Do you remember that?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah." But um, he well that that for example, you're in like England's national stadium, hearing "God Save the Queen." Because like sixty thousand like, people, right? Sixty thousand and like English fans, you're like, this is unreal they're nuts
1: too they're good there
0: yeah and then the, and then the next week i was lucky enough to be appointed to the final at um old trafford and you know what you'd heard it i'd always heard of old trafford and mm. you sort of go oh yeah well they play test match cricket there and all that and it's probably ignorant of me but it wasn't until i got to the ground and actually ash and i roomed together and we we're walking we actually walked to the ground that day because there was gonna be so much traffic we were staying in salford and he said when you get there he goes, when the lights go, he goes, I call it a the theatre of dreams because actually the fields uh, drops off the yeah, edges. Yep. So it's actually level with the um, the first rail fans. If you remember, one of the Morris boys in the final actually went off and hit the fence. Hmm. And he goes, you watch, when you get out there and the lights are on and it's dark, The cra- you can't see the crowd. It's, it's just lights. He goes, it's like a, a theatre. It's like you're on a stage. And it's like you can't. You can't see the really? crowd. Really? And it's just noise. And there were seventy thousand there, so it's just noise and lights, and it was like imagine that's what singers and that go through when they're on a stage and they can just feel oh. feel the light and not see the audience, yeah. and it was like that. But I actually remember walking down the tunnel, and you, where you come out of um, Old Trafford, you come out from the corner. Uh, and I remember walking down. There's a big Man United sign, mm. and i we'd had, we'd gone there and watched Man United play during the during the tour uh, during the time we were there. And I remember walking down. I'm like. Some of the world's greatest athletes, like, have walked down this tunnel. Absolutely. And I'm just a kid from Penrith, like, from Springwood. Yeah. And I remember, and I actually remember thinking to myself, it was probably at Wembley the week before, referring at Whalen Reserve. I was walking around Wembley the day before, and I'm looking, and it says Wembley on the chairs, right? And I thought to myself, I'm like, I've gone from Whalen Reserve to Wembley because, you know what, I stuck it out. And so, like, to me, that's that's five years ago now. And it's significant, mm. a significant time in my life um, in terms of m- my achievements. And so that's people say, oh, what's your greatest achievement? But I actually think it was times when I was running a line. And, yeah, it was, like, it was surreal. And it was just one of those times that I was lucky enough to go again, as a but as a referee, to 2017, which is a bit different. Yeah. Um, and I sort of debuted in Cairns, which was...
1: What was that game?
0: Italy and Ireland. And to me, like it's not Australia versus New Zealand at Old Trafford. Mm. It was at a field in Cairns, right? Um, But I'm like, this is test match footy. And then I sort of end up going back there and run the line again in that tournament. And and then the Tonga Samoa game this year, the 2018 season out at Campbelltown. I'm like... Whoa, this is good. That was a cool it, game. You know what, that international really cool. footy yeah. is a completely – there's so much less pressure than the NRL competition. And they actually play differently. Yeah. There's no there's, – it's not tactical in terms of slowing the ruck or it's about just going out and doing your best.
1: You're right, you know, because each of the international teams seem to have their own style. You know, in yeah. the NRL, everyone's got the sweep around play. It's whoever tackles harder and yeah. runs hardest is going to win the game.
0: It's but, probably because they come together at a sh- for a shorter period of time, preparation. And
1: there's true love. Like if you play for Tonga, yeah. if you know the way for Fida and yeah. Tammy Lolo, like they truly love their country. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're trying to build it up. Yeah. And that's the same as the Aussie boys, the Kiwi boys. Whoever, they, whoever you are, you love it and you want to play for your country.
0: And they, this, is, this is the debate around two referees for me. And people say, oh, international footy, have you ever watched the test matches? One ref is the best. Yeah. Like, they don't play the same. You know what? The rucks are slower in international footy. Mm. But people accept it. Um. yeah, it's, a diff- it's actually a different game to what the NRL competition is week in, week out.
1: Hopefully they do put some more investment into it. I'd love to see more international kind yeah. of footy. It's yeah. just obviously the toll on the players is obviously huge. So
0: Yeah, but it's something to rep- – as much as those guys, you talk about the passion to, to represent their country. I remember, mm-hmm. think- I remember thinking that at Cardiff. like I'm like, well, I'm the only Australian official on the field. For me, I'm representing Australia here. It was the same in the final. We oh, yeah. had Richard Silverwood and James Child well, with the referee and touch judge respectively. Yeah, from and England, I was the only Australian. Yeah. I'm like, this is this is me representing, no, it's me representing my country, right? Yeah. But it's me representing my friends and my family and you actually do it to – there's a sense of pride within yourself, not only for what you've gone through, mm. but you're actually proud because you've done it on behalf of all the people that you've had to say no to. Like in the people that support you. Yeah. And the people that are support supportive in, in refereeing are the people that when you do say, no, I can't go to your Bucks party or I can't go to your wedding or I can't be here for your daughter's birthday, it's those people that work, uh, that give you that support by saying that's okay. Yeah. yeah. They're the people that provide that level of support because mm. if they don't, if they don't provide that level of support, well, you, well, you've you, got to make a choice Yeah, and you, mate, you, lo- you do lose friendships over it. Because you he, he might lose friendships, but people stop asking you to things. Yeah, exactly. Because you say It no changes. Yeah.
1: Grant, tell me, I'll see if my research is right. I reckon your first head ref game was Cronulla versus Penrith mm. at Penrith 2000. I've written it down. It was, I think, round eight. No, round seven. What did I write here?
0: Oh, it was an Anzac weekend. I can't even
1: read my own writing. So round be. eight, 2015. Yep. It was at Penrith Park. I think it was the only time, every time I... I'll go with you guys to the footy, especially Lisa, your wife. Penrith never win, except for that day. Oh, that Penrith won. It? it was twenty six eighteen. There you go. I didn't even know You that. know there's like this, it's called Rugby League Project. Yeah, yeah. All your stats are on there. Yeah. It says every single game that you ever refereed.
0: Yeah.
1: It's actually quite a cool little website.
0: That's where you get all your research, isn't Absolutely,
1: it? Absolutely, man. It's the best. But anyway, back to my question. How did it feel to be... Finally, because you were in the pocket for so long, yeah. learning your craft, obviously. Yeah. But to be a head ref, total different ball game. You're the, you're the main man. Yeah, how would it feel to get an opportunity in the in the real middle?
0: Oh, well, it was your game, and I remember Badge was actually had been um, dropped back to the assist role for mm. something the week before. Um, and for me, like it's a 300 gamer. It was in my in my pocket, and I was I was a head referee for that, and I would actually. He was really good about it. He's like, you just tell me what you need me to do. Uh, and th- that's where you build team, yeah. right? Because he doesn't take his ego in there and go, well, I should be the main – yeah. I'm not the big dog on the field today. Um, but it was really good as – was to do it at a field where I'd – like I remember doing Panther, Panther Trophy, which is a schoolboy competition out here, and you do it like under lights on a Tuesday night. And all of a sudden, I'm at Penrose Stadium – and it was, like I said, it was an Anzac weekend game again, which is really interesting that the Canberra one was as well. Mm. So you sort of go through the anthems. And I remember it's not just run out and referee. So we did the anthems in the last post. So it actually gave me time to to look around and go, you've got a really good opportunity here to, to make the most of it. Um, I remember it was a day game. Um, and I actually remember there was a spear tackle from... No, that's was Chris right. Chris Hinington. Yeah, I think it was. On Jeremy Lattimore, I think. Yeah. Uh, who was playing for Penrith at the time. And when it happened originally, I'm like, I'm gonna have a send off on my debut game a <laughs> Penrith. <the head> <laughs> like when I first saw it, obviously it was reviewed and, and um it wasn't a send off, but I thought, oh my gosh, this is gonna create some attention in my first game. It's probably something I didn't want. But yeah, I don't I don't remember too much of the game, like I don't remember who won, other than what you just told me then. But I remember it being yeah that Anzac weekend, and yeah, and it was it was quite interesting because a lot of the kids I taught at school were on the hill, and so I remember there's a video ref try. They just gave it to me. What was the pace like? <laughs> uh, well, what I've always talked about in first grade is well, you can you can be a fast runner, right? Yeah. As a referee, but you got to be a fast thinker. The players on the field just do everything faster. Yep. Their line speed's quicker for the whole game. They pass faster. They tackle harder. Um, the guy who scoots out a dummy half goes quicker. Right, So you have to make decisions quicker. Mm. A ball goes up in the air and the contest happens. And it's like, I've got to be really quick at thinking and making a decision on that.
1: Do you guys practice, you guys practice making decisions under fatigue, right? Yep. What yep. Does, can you talk to us a little uh, about what
0: you do? Well, the best way... We can do that in the gym where we have what we call brain training under fatigue where yep. we'll, we'll be on a roller or a grinder or a recently acquired assault bikes, which are… Uh, Silly which decision, mate. Are a, a treat, they've actually been re- rebranded calling the abuse bikes, but um, <laughs> where we'll do that and then we'll be shown footage um, out of games, yep. like really quick uh, out, of, out of games that have been played. And it mm. might be when we used to use ref cam and things like that, we have to make decisions under fatigue. In relation to So that. they
1: just play it and they go, Grant, make a decision.
0: What is that? Yep. Yeah. And, and look, that's probably not it's, – it's as realistic as probably we can get within our office. Mm. Um, I went to – we go to club scrimmages. So clubs obviously in pre-season play against each other whether I have 13 on 13 and so they can get their plays right and their defensive structures and all that. We are invited out to referee those because it's a version of a trial match for us. It's a little bit of realism uh, in December and January for us. And we do the conditioning with them. Uh, We'll we'll do the running and whatever they need to do to get under fatigue before they they join in the scrimmage. And that's really important for us because it's not just about making decisions like you can on your lounge, right? You're you're operating at probably the end of a game, you're at 9Ks. Some guys might press 10Ks. And you're doing that at a high heart rate. You're talking – like, everyone goes, oh, that's fine. You can run. You can run for 9Ks, right?
1: What is your heart rate on the field? You guys test uh, that, don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't, to be honest, I don't know.
1: You'll be pretty high, but you'd have to think.
0: Yeah. Depends if you made a mistake or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: funny because you guys track it. You, yeah, it's, nice to actually go through that. See, so yeah. like, when your pressure points were
0: – But the other thing is we actually – we talk the entire game. Hmm. So, like, you can go for a 9K run – Okay, yeah, that's tough, right? You try and talk and yell, right, that entire time that you're running. Like that's exhausting. And it's
1: something that you – And then you're getting information from your touchies, from your pocket. Yep. So you've got to take in all this. Sometimes your coach as well, whatever. But you think
0: about every ruck, you've got to give an instruction. Yeah. And you've got to hold guys on the 10 and yell out to guys. Like that's to talk – And you've got to backpedal. Go for 9Ks and sing. Sing the entire way
1: And half of it's backpedalling
0: Yep Yep So the amount of
1: fatigue on you Is like huge
0: But it's funny When you're in the moment You don't, you don't notice it mm. You actually notice I reckon you notice you fatigue Two days later
1: Have you got a strategy When you come out Like you know Some people are going out A million miles an hour Is there like a Do you go into a game Saying well If I'm going to have penalties It's going to be ten minutes The first ten no. minutes Like what's your strategy with that no. Nothing No What do you say to the captains Before a game
0: Heads or tails. And that's it. That's it.
1: Remember back in the day when we have to tell all the when did you stop doing kind of you know you tell captains oh I'm going to be looking at the ruck today because like yep. John Jordan told me
0: well don't forget the, all those yeah. things are televised now yeah so if you if you chose to do that you're telling the world what you're going to referee whereas you, you just go and referee what's in front of you people think you have we have game plans and strategies mm. it's not about that um. It's funny, though, because they talk about the BBL this week. Where they're going to oh, do hills and flats where they toss the bat now instead of a coin. And I actually said at training during the week, we should just hide the whistle behind the back like <laughs> we <used> to, <laughs> as a kid. Maybe we'll bring that in, which hands are whistling. Um, but no, we don't do any of that. There's no strategy about anything.
1: Yeah. If there's – How do you prepare for a game, though?
0: Uh, I'm really – I'm a bit different to everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I prefer just to – some people like some music in the dressing room and I like. I really like being there early. Like being late for me is the worst, right? I'll get to Lincoln and it's pitch black, yeah. right? But I'll just get a book or um, or have a nap, right? So I like to get there really early and then just um, get sort of massage or treatment first. Yep. So then it's just my time. And to be honest, last year what I did a lot, because sometimes it gets busy in dressing rooms, it depends mm. where you are, like some dressing rooms – there's not a lot of people in because they're big, but then other ones like they're really busy. So the semi-final, Brisbane and St George, and I'd done it previously, but Brisbane and St George, you get a lot of people in there, right? Because it's all the coaches are there and it's just busy at semi-final time. People coming in now, and so I've got the, the app called Buddhify. I don't know if you've you've used it. but no. it's a it's a a meditation app. Right? Okay. And it's a re- it's all different types and
1: so it's the guided meditation. So yeah, guided meditation. Yeah, yeah. And
0: so I'll seriously just and it's you're gonna it's gonna sound weird, right? But for me it works. Well I could put that in because there's a lot of people and put headphones in and sit in a corner and just listen to it. Okay. And it's like a seven minutes. But what for me it's like just get away from all this for a sec. Mm. Just get some time to yourself. Because you end up in conversations. Everyone ends up in conversations. And then Yeah, we we had different people uh, from outside our organisation come in and see how we prepare and stuff. And I'm like, I'll just need to... And I might do it when I'm on the massage table. To be honest, the massage for me, the 10, 15 minutes, is not about preparing my muscles or anything, right? Mm. Or getting loose. It's about just time out, just stop. And for me, I find that better. Some guys like it. Some guys will like sort of bounce a footy around. Yeah. But I'm like, no, just... Take your time, get out there. And if, if your mind's clear, you'll think clearly.
1: Do you like those structure? You know, obviously the last five years or so, you guys have got structured work, like warm-ups. Yep. We all do it together as yep. a team. Do you prefer that?
0: Uh, yeah, I do. Um, just because for me, it's a. it might even go back to your point about making your bed, yeah. right, where if it's structured warm-up, I know that I can tick that off. Or I've done that. It's yeah, okay. part of my preparation yep. and I've done it well. Right. My next thing I do is I'll go into the dressing room and do whatever else. Um, And I know then that what it it actually does is everyone's got different roles on the field, Mm. but we as a team, whether this this happens intrinsically and extrinsically, right? People that sit at the stadium go, these guys are a team. They're a group. Mm -hmm. They're not four individuals. They're doing the same thing together, right? And we then... Also, because we're doing the same thing, we're like, hey, we're in, we're about to go into this um, game as a unit and we've all prepared the same. This is about doing it as a team. And it, you might not notice, but we have a theory too. When we walk off, no one walks off the field before, like first after warm-up. We'll all come back together, make sure everyone's finished their warm-up, come back together and we walk off as a unit. Yeah, no. It's like this is a group. Yep. We're, we're our own unit and we will work together as a unit. And hopefully, and I actually believe that it does, it actually makes us officiate like that. Mm. Previously blokes would do their own run and own warm up and then somebody yeah. would go in goes, oh, I'm gonna go in now and leave one guy out there and like that. It just doesn't it's not the right look. No. And it's not it's not, a great it's not the right to thing to do. A it's team not about, as well. Yeah. I
1: think it's a great team thing that you're doing. So yeah. especially in a sport we talked about before where you don't have an end goal apart from Doing a big game.
0: Yeah, and it brings everyone together on task. Yeah. Because you're all doing the same thing. We all know that this is what we do now. This is time to switch on.
1: Nice. All right. A few scripted questions at the end, mate. So first things first, how'd you get the nickname, Joey?
0: I probably wouldn't believe it now, but when I was younger, um, I was a bit heavier than I was now, and I had (laughs) a rather big backside. um, and yeah obviously Andrew Johns was had a similar feature um and so it sort of just stuck from that but I'll gladly let you know that my pants size has come down a lot I know since we I was might early have to 20s you a new
1: nickname mate because you're not really Joey Johns anymore no like, you, have, you have your body structure compared to what you were because you were stocky you obviously played footy and played rugby yeah. it's a lot different you'd be what 15 kilos lighter wouldn't you
0: no, not 15. <laughs> You'd have been in the I 90s reckon the well, most yeah? I got was 90. Yeah. And I'm at about 81 80 now. About 81, 82 now. Yeah, right? okay. But it's different. That's, just, that's weight on a scale. Mm. But if you were to look at um, density in terms of fat ratio, like 90 kilos would have been mostly fat. Mm. And like you feel healthy. But your fitness
1: is through the roof. I remember I trained with you last year and like i train every day yeah and i've been doing a fair bit of boxing in that session There, what did you call it that 30 oh, return minutes return of the jedi oh my god <laughs> yeah on the bike you were doing weights just yeah. oh my god that was torture yeah that's a tough one i nearly vomited that day it was terrible all right next Grun grants uh, Aside of company current squad excluded who's the best referee that you've seen
0: that's a really difficult question um I thought actually I know I mentioned him a few times, but Jason Robinson was a really good referee. Mm. And you know what? I probably the reason I say that is I probably watched him the most. Yeah. okay. Because he he was someone that I knew and I, and I looked up to. Um, there was a lot of
1: times when he did A grade, you did reserve grade or 19s. He did reserve grade NRL. Yeah. You'd do Fleck. You know what and I mean? He like, just, to me, he just stuff. had
0: a lot of conviction in what he did. Yep. Um, and probably should have refereed. Um, more semifinals and grand finals. And I think he just spoke like
1: to people well. Yeah. I think that's, his communication on the field was really, really good. Yeah. Even though he wasn't probably, in terms of like, he wasn't the fastest runner or that sort of stuff. He was injured quite a bit, mm. but he just knew how to speak to people. Yeah. I think. And,
0: look, and I'll probably say that because I watched him the most. If I think back to when I saw referees before I started refereeing, I didn't pay attention mm. to them. But no, you, Yeah. Oh, mate, everyone's really good. Even the current squad, there is not much difference no. between the top guy and the bottom guy. It's
1: all about opportunity, just you, like Robbo. if he yeah. didn't get injured that day because Robbo was in a reserve grade for years and years. You know what I mean? He was yeah. knocking on the door, but they weren't giving me a crack.
0: Did you want me to say you for that answer? Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. No. I
1: thought that's what you were getting at. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no, no. No, I actually wanted a serious.
0: No, nah, yeah. Even was- though I was pretty good. No <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, it's, uh, it's a really difficult thing. And referee, it's so subjective, the sport. Yeah. Because you don't win. You don't base it on wins. Like like Dad mentioned earlier, I said about Dad, with playing in winning sides. It's easy to be good or seem good when you're in winning sides, but referees don't win. And what you think is a good referee will be different to what someone else does. That's the because- same
1: thing. Coaches have the same effect. Some coaches like the way you referee. Yeah. Some people, when some, one coach comes in, he might take more appreciation for the some way someone else referees. It's yep. all kind of a cycle sort of thing, yep. being at the right place at the right time.
0: Yeah, and you've got to, as a referee, I've had five different coaches mm. in first grade. You've just got to have the ability to to tweak what you do to make sure that you're fitting in with what the organisation wants.
1: Mm. Who do you think has had the biggest influence on your career?
0: Um, probably my uncle. Daryl? Yep. yep, outside of... And I know people probably think, oh, it'll be someone a coach within the game or another referee, but it's probably my uncle who I'll oh, just have the ability to to bounce ideas off and very much he, he'll give you an honest answer and he'll give you the pub test answer. Yeah. That's uh, sort of about how you're
1: going. He's a really good footy brain. For people don't know, Daryl's Grant's uncle when he coached at Parramatta for a number of years in the, yeah. in the lower grades.
0: But I just think have someone outside of the sport who and that's career and that's that's not only that's like a life advice yeah um so it's just one of those things that i'm sure everyone has that person in their life
1: there's even little things like you know he invites us to orange and things like that just to see the way that his friendship group yeah they all interact with each other and
0: and that's something like he's got a really close friendship group they actually played a game of cricket last year Mm. i sorry not last year last week uh, it was called Bugger Cricket actually, where they where they grew up in Toongabi and they're the Toonie locals versus what they used to call the rest of the world. They started in year nine. Right. <laughs> That's so good. Last weekend was their fortieth year that they've played. Yeah. Um and fortieth. 40th. 40th year straight. Where every just before Christmas they play a game of cricket. Wow. And it started when they were in school holidays, like yeah. in year nine. And to me, I look at that and I'm like, man, that friendship group. And those relationships that those guys have must be like he's really unique. Um, and there's there's a few of us that are that are really tight like that. And yeah, it's it's a really important part of your life to make sure you got those friendships and those support networks. Yeah, I
1: agree. All right, next one. What was your what is your favourite ground to referee at?
0: Um. Oh, there's some really good ones, but I think yeah, Canberra. Canberra. You know, yeah, and I think a lot of it has to do with... Have you had the Viking clap yet? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's for me, it's probably because it holds a special place in terms of where I debuted. Yep. But the surface is always really good.
1: Mm, it's very green there. Yeah.
0: You always... You have a lot of space at that field. The crowd's not, like, right on top of you. You yep. feel like you've got room. And this like these are really simple things, but the dressing rooms are really big. Yep. So you don't feel cramped, and you feel like you can prepare in your own place. hmm There's no no traffic right and so that doesn't add to the anxiety in yeah, your preparation yeah. so you can just go right i know where i'm going there's no traffic i'll just get there and we'll get it done and
1: it's small little simple things
0: there's simple things but it yeah and it, that's just one of my favorite grounds and mate there's some good ones, like sun corpse unreal um in
1: terms it, of like the crowd just on you is that is yeah. it because of the atmosphere is that and you
0: kind of when you look into the distance, right? You say, look in the distance at Canberra. You can see the trees out the back. Yep. Right. But so it's different at SunCorp. You look and it's just like you're at the third row, and like you look up and you're like, there's still people up there. Um. Yeah, mate. This there's some really great places to referee. To. Mm, very lucky. Just, that way.
1: Well, those ones you described, like even when you were just telling the stories of being at Wembley and oh, there, yeah. Old Trafford, like that's they're
0: unreal. That's
1: that's some memories that. You're gonna have for the rest of your life it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, what's your favourite road trip?
0: Um oh, I enjoy Townsville. Yeah. Some guys find it really difficult. Um it's a long way to go, right? And you're generally on a Saturday night. So what are you going to do you gotta do? You gotta fly to Brizzy? No, then- uh, we previously flew Sydney, Brisbane, a couple of hours, Brisbane Townsville, but now we're we're direct. yeah Um But you got to, for me, I've and I've learned this more recently in the last two years, you mm. have to do – I do things when I'm away. So last year we went to a place called Alligator Creek, which is like in a national park. This is – and we went and did things. I just went for a swim, right? And it was – because my theory is one day it's all over. And you know what? I probably won't go back to Townsville on holiday. Yeah. Right? Auckland's the same where I said, right, let's get up and go to Pihar Beach, which is on the west coast of – the North Island. Yep. Right, it's an hour and a bit drive. Um, Adelaide, last year, I'm like, I've never been to Adelaide, so let's get out and do stuff. Let's explore, yep. Townsville's are, and what I enjoy about Townsville is warm, right, but you also, I enjoy fishing. How warm is it
1: actually during like winter, like mid-20s sort of thing? Oh, uh, yeah.
0: Really? Yeah. So I like to get, nice. so I like to fish, right? So if I get the opportunity, I'll take some fishing gear up and just go for fish in the morning. So
1: you rate yourself as a fisherman?
0: No, I'm not very good at it but I like doing it <laughs> um, And or we'll go to Magnetic Island uh, and That's just for the day, yeah. catch a bus around and get back by lunchtime yeah. and the game's like until 7.30. But there are little things that I'm like, you got to make the most of this and I did a game in Alice Springs with Matt Chetcher as a trial yeah. and so we said, right, as soon as we land in Alice Springs, get the hire cart and we'll go to The Rock. So we went to The Rock one, like – it was like a nine-hour return trip. The day, cool. We arrived in the morning. We didn't referee to the next night. Yep. But we got up and went, right, let's go. So we went out to the rock and back. I'm like, I would never have done this. And that's like-
1: Good experience, by If the way. you ever
0: get the chance, between Alice Springs and Ayers Rock, there's nothing. Yeah. And you get out of the car and you're like, that feeling of isolation, when you live in a city of five million people- How to long does
1: drive? Four hours, five hours. Yeah. Is there a servo anywhere on the road? Yeah. yeah. It's
0: quite expensive, but you, you'll you drive for a long time and not see another car. Yeah. Um, is it the speed
1: limit too? Uh, is that true or is that a false?
0: No. In parts, there are no signs. So There's you can no just do cars. what you want. I didn't drive. I was sat in the passenger seat. But it was, um, yeah, like they're unique experiences. I'm like, footy's brought me to see Ezra. Yeah. Um So yeah, I... Oh, I like the road trips because I go and do things. So Canberra, I'll go to the War Memorial every time. Yeah, cool. That's something to do. And you, if you've been the War Memorial, you know you can't do it in a day. So every time you go, you go and look at something different.
1: Hopefully yeah. that rubs off on some of the others in the squad.
0: Well, I like to take them because mm. otherwise you sit in your room and yeah, you just go stupid crazy. Yeah. yeah.
1: All right. Next one. Uh, win. Road trip. That's all good. All right. Last question. Dinner party question. Five invites to a private dinner party grant.
0: Oh, I should have listened to no more of your family or friends. <laughs>
1: Who would you like to invite?
0: To know that this was coming. Um, Five. Five, man. Oh, no, family or friends. Oh, um, uh, I enjoy music, mm. right? And, like, I think Elton John is, like, one of the greatest musicians ever.
1: Yeah, he's real good
0: and um, everyone's going to go, oh, that's a bit weird, right? But I've seen him twice, actually, when I saw him in Vegas recently. So, he, um, yeah, he'd be one, I reckon. Um, Bob Hawke. Yeah. I read his book, and I actually find uh, – I don't know him personally or anything, but from what I've read and, and his book, and it was called Wednesdays with Bob, um, <laughs> someone that I thought, you know what, that's like – Really,
1: so would you just relate to him? Is that what was yeah. he just really relatable?
0: Yeah, and I, I just think the way that he sort of
1: he loves his beer at the cricket. Have you seen him do it with his
0: yeah his skull? He's, yeah. he's a good guy. Uh, okay, and if I am looking at um politicians again, yeah, it's probably maybe Gough Whitlam.
1: Maybe okay. politics interests yeah. you, Grant.
0: Well, I think it's probably in the last year I've done a lot of reading about about that, and I think it's I look at what their values were. No. Uh, look at like obviously Whitlam brings brings in free university education and yep. his his relationship with Vincent Lingar in terms of um, giving back land and things like so it's from little things big things grow like the Paul Kelly songs about that yeah yeah um, so what's that three
1: you got me intrigued I'll have to start reading some of these politicians books usually I do a lot of sports reading but yeah seems like there's some of these ones are a little bit oh see something
0: a bit different. um Oh, look. I'd... Mate, you've really got me here. I stumped you. Yeah. Mate, you was
1: coming, mate. You told me you were Oh, Jerry Seinfeld,
0: right? Yeah, mate. I should have listened. You didn't ask the last three guests their last five. Their... Didn't I? No, you didn't. So you've got me here. Are you sure?
1: No. Nah, yeah. Ask Louis. Ask Louis. I oh, know. Well,
0: I'm listening to Matt Elliott. You didn't oh, ask yeah,
1: him. Oh, yeah. I think we ran out of time, so I don't think I got a chance
0: to. We're well, going to run out of time with my four and five in a minute. Um, no, look. Uh, I find Jerry Seinfeld very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very funny. And oh, last one, Grant. Last one. Give me a, a field, sporting a field. field. Just give me. Um, oh,
1: maybe. Who's a female you really
0: respect? Um, I'd look at. Oh, someone maybe like Michelle Obama.
1: Yeah, should be pretty cool.
0: And then, then that would be really interesting to. Um, to network with her, in terms of how you support the support network she would have provided Barack during that time, mm. uh, and she like she's a strong woman with two feet like two daughters, which I have. It's like how do you create? Oh, I'd, I'd be interested to engage with her. How you create an environment that is a high pressure environment? Yeah, well, you're like the supportive, first supportive Supportive of your daughters growing up, mm. so. Yeah, maybe maybe those. That's five. a good
1: pick because, like, same thing. It's I think it's very kind of relatable to refereeing, where everyone's got an opinion on what your what a husband did. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always and she, an they play a significant role. Like, yeah, and I just think those five people would, would make a really interesting.
1: Mm, that's a really good pick. All right, mate. Well, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Before I let you leave, definitely check out Grant's podcast, View from the Middle podcast. Some really good interviews on there. You also got your old. Podcast Some of the it's funny, like looking back, like when you interviewed guys like Matt Ryan and also Pat Cummins, Mm. oh, they were just coming through the Australian team. Now they're pretty much the best players in the actual national teams, and yeah, there's some good interviews to actually go back to. And you had a good interview with MG because obviously you've known MG for a long, long time, so definitely check it out. It's on iTunes, SoundCloud. Pretty much anywhere you'll get your podcasts or yeah. if you want to follow for updates, uh, he's got his Twitter. He doesn't use it that much. View podcast anytime a podcast is out. So, yeah. get following Grant on his Twitter.
0: Thanks, mate. Joey. I'll we'll have to get back into that, actually. Now that you've I'm promoted. putting pressure on him. I oh, know. I'm going to have to do some interviews this week. Well done, buddy. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me.
1: And guys, that was Grant Atkins. So, I hope you get you had further insights into you know, all the dedication and the hard work and what it takes to be an NRL referee. Like we chatted through the show, Grant didn't even make it as a a referee, a head referee, until his late 20s. So it's quite the dedication, seeing that we we both were first met at 14 years old. So it's been quite a journey. Really proud of what he's achieved, and I think there's more to come in terms of representations, grand finals. I think the world's the oyster for Grant. So all the best of luck for Joey. All right, guys, next week on the show, we've got Wallabies legend, Michael Liner. So be on the lookout for that. I will be away, but I will be recording plenty of episodes before I do that. And the episodes, I'll make sure, keep coming out every Tuesday. So continue to tell your family and friends. Help me spread the word. If you haven't yet and you've got access to Apple or iTunes, please leave me a review. That'll be outstanding. And please get in touch. Plenty of people have been doing that. Please introduce yourself. Let me know where you were listening to the show. And let me know who you want to see on the show. Always. Always open ears and always ready for your yarn. So just send something through Tristan at talkingwithtk.com. Hit me up on Facebook or Instagram and Twitter. They're all at talkingwithtk, except for Instagram, it's just Tristan Nell. All right, guys, really enjoyed bringing this episode to you. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK.